I'm Dean Newland, and welcome to the Business of Intuition, where I coach, facilitate, train, and speak on the hard science and meaningful experience of intuitive leadership in business, so you can make better decisions, forge real connections, and creatively solve problems to amplify your impact and simplify your life. Welcome to the Business of Intuition. Selling a small business presents a myriad of challenges that are often deeply intertwined with both logistical and emotional factors. Logistically, small business owners grapple with accurately evaluating their business, finding a suitable buyer, and navigating the intricate legal and financial process involved in the sale. On the emotional front, entrepreneurs often feel a profound attachment to their business, which have been built from the ground up. This emotional bond can cloud judgment, making it difficult to let go or even to assess potential deals effectively. Moreover, the concern for how employees, many of whom have become like family, will fare under new ownership can add another layer of complexity to the decision-making process. But my next guest on the business of intuition is really an expert in this field of selling small businesses. His name is Paul Sprandling, and Paul is the co-founder of Pacifica Advisors, named one of the top 25 investment banks in 2022. Paul is in charge of strategy and helping hundreds of businesses exit and get growth capital investors. A graduate from Cornell University, Paul's business portfolio runs the gamut from raising over $350 million in capital before the age of 30 to working on transactions with the largest names in the business, such as Blackstone, Goldman Sachs, to name just a few. Today, the majority of Paul's business uh, is around the direct relationship that he has with clients utilizing a uh, more agile approach and working with only a few handful of investors that actually execute on the desire to buy a business. Paul Spradling on the business of intuition. Well, Paul, it's great to have you on the show, hailing from beautiful San Diego. And I just wanted to say thanks for your time. Let's start right off with a question around uh, a scenario. Let's assume that I'm a business owner. I've been at this for a while. I've been able to, you know, have a pretty good living, good good cash flow. I've got a few employees. Maybe I'm at that five million or so revenue area. But it, I think I'm I'm thinking wanting to let it go. I think I'm wanting to retire, wanting to sell. What should I be thinking about as a owner of a business that would help me understand that I have an asset that's worthy of selling? What's that criteria? that I should know about that would that says, yep, you got something to sell or no, you don't. You should probably just let this thing die. Yeah. Well, great question. Thank you for having me. But I think that the biggest thing is you should never really let that thing die. There's always some value. Maybe you just get to sell it for one-time revenue because you have an amazing client list. You should always talk to a professional business broker and investment banker and M&A firm in your area. And, but the main things that you do need for your business to be sold successfully is a management team that can replace you, a key management team 
Because if you are very involved in the operations and you want to retire, well, who's going to take your position? Who's going to take over your responsibilities? So key management team is the single most important to get the maximum value. Depends who you are selling to. Strategics might not need as much positive EBITDA or cash flow, but uh, private equity firms or family offices, people who want to buy it because of the yield will want to see that strong cash flow historical. So if you had a couple bad years and you're trying to sell it in those bad years, maybe hold on until you have a good year so you can perform it out that now the years are going to be like that. And third and very important as well is timing. As soon as you start feeling like you want to sell it, start the process because it's not a short process. It is three, four months to prepare your document, your financials, the stuff, your presentation. Then you go to market. That's another three months in market. Uh, so that's six months to actually maybe just close a transaction. And then you're going to probably have to stay 12 to 18 months to train the new CEO or to do the mm. transition. At mm. minimum, that's what usually private equity firms like. So you're talking about it's a year and a half to two year process from the moment you start wanting to do it to you do it if you want to do it right. You can just say, no, nah, I'm good. And, you know, they'll discount that. But it's a two year process. Ideally, is how long you should be there. That's a good point. So you go back to that first step that you said, Paul, about the management team. Are you saying that this management team would be in place and would survive the owner if, in fact, that's what they did, meaning to sell? We, we've got that established. There's a succession plan, not for the mm -hmm. CEO per se or the owner, but for the others who are running the company. Correct. Correct. And one of these people ideally might be a promoted to CEO. Private equity firms tend to like to have a CEO in place. Okay. And there's other buyers like a search fund or an independent sponsor, they're called, which don't need a CEO in place, but like to pay a little bit of a discount. They'll become the CEO, but it's more work. So they want to get pay you a little bit less, maybe, just because they'll do the work. And, it, and are there certain industries, Paul, that seem to do better with selling businesses like software, high tech? manufacturing where there's tangible types of IP or tangible products being sold versus, say, service organizations where it's so heavily dependent on relationships. Yes, of course. Multiples, right? It's a, it's a multiples game. And yeah, software, tech, fintech companies, even manufacturing or light manufacturing uh, that have tangible assets and IP that basically what I tell people is if a bank will lend you against whatever assets you have or some sort of lender, that means your multiple could be higher. So software as a service company has some intrinsic valuable IP. There's plenty of people out there that lend to IP. Or you make a cardboard paper and you have millions of dollars in equipment to make cardboard. That's also very valuable equipment and they'll lend against it. So your multiple will go up. But if you are a pest control company, you can make a lot of cash flow, but your multiple might be a little lower just because it's all recurring, you know, new clients every day. You've got to be calling relationships. It's, you know, all the property management friends in the area, et cetera. It depends or, on the industry. Or like if let's say you're a law firm or you're mm -hmm. a consultancy or something where, you know, when the gig is done, the gig is done. You know, there yeah. is, it's not like an insurance company where I have people who are putting in. Their insurance amounts, I mean, their, their 
their you know their fees every month that it's you know something mm-hmm. that you can sort of predict and cash flow out you know you know several years in advance these are all based on you know more shorter term sales cycles are those also sellable assets uh yeah they're sellable assets they're just a little different difficult for example a law firm can only be buy by a lawyer so there's limitations a non-lawyer cannot own a law firm uh, but for example medical practices are great private equity firms love medical practices uh, they do a lot of medical practice roll-ups. So we sell some of those. We are in the process of selling like an ophthalmology practice right now with mm-hmm. three locations or plastic surgeons or an, a, any kind of doctor. So medical practices, even though their clients are might not be recurring, you know, you're doing different people's surgeries, they're still sellable and the multiples are still pretty good because of the high barrier to entry. You're buying the doctor, which is a difficult barrier to entry. So yes, they're still good and sellable assets. You know, I remember years ago. I mean, we we purchased uh, some property down in Phoenix. We had a few uh, rental places, and I, I found that it was really helpful to me to understand the people that we would eventually be selling to, because I knew at some point we would flip these. I knew at some point we would let them go, and we did. And it, it just sort of helped understanding that side of the fence, you know. It's like anything where if you are selling a cookie, if you're selling a t-shirt, if you're selling a service, you, you probably need to know what makes your sellers tick. What are they looking for? How do you serve what they are all about so then you can provide that to them? If I am a person who owns a business and I want to sell my business, what do I need to know about the seller? I mean, excuse me, what do I need to know about the buyer? Sorry. Yeah. Ideally, right, you want to go and do a, a roadshow uh, type of sale, right? You want to try to get as many people as you can to take a look at your uh, and make offers on your business, right? And, you know, you not you necessarily don't want to pick the highest bidder. Maybe the highest bidder is the best fit for you. But I tell people, you know, sometimes more money is not the best thing because a lot of times they want you to roll in or depends on the structure. So let's assume... Just for simple math, you're selling your business for $10 million. They're probably going to want to give you $7 million cash up front, and they're going to want to give you $3 million as a rollback equity. And basically, out of the business grows, you know, your $3 million will grow. So you're also betting on them, on their capability, because you invested $3 million of your potential money with them. So really ask a lot of questions, see their synergies, see their values. Uh, see if they have the same vision for you that you would do with your business, basically. So I always tell people, ask a lot of questions, have multiple calls before we decide who, who's going to buy it. Well, I was even thinking like, uh, what sort of finances, what, what sort of financials does the seller need to understand in order to realize that uh, they know what the, the buyer is looking for? Like you mentioned cash flow, for example, you mentioned yeah. revenue, you know, are there some telltale formulas or, or um, indicators that a person who owns a business should understand, um, which would then help them realize, I should probably sell this damn thing? Because I think that sometimes when, you, when you're a small business owner, I mean, you're not talking you know, hundreds of millions of dollars here. Your sweet spot's in that five to $10 million mm-hmm. range. And so we're talking about that, right? So I think that some of the small business owners out there 
you know, once they get to a certain point, they rely on their CFO. They rely on, you know, a fractional CFO or what have you to, to help them out. I'm in that boat, right? I don't understand my finances as much as my CFO does, right? I, I understand the basics, but she's got a much better handle on it. What does the seller need to know about their finances that will help them determine I should sell this? Yeah, I think the three most important um, numbers are your revenue. You, of course, always be on top of your revenue. And then you'll be surprised. I'm always asking people like, you don't know what the revenue is. Their EBITDA. EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. So it's basically your cash flow if you don't have any debt and before you do all your fund tax planning. So it's like your true, that's how they value it. And then your EBITDA margin and what's the industry standard. So if your revenue is 10 million and your EBITDA is a million, so your EBITDA margin is 10% and the industry average is seven. So you're you're doing a little better. Or if the industry average is 20 and you only have 10, why are you spending so much money? So, you know, understand those three numbers, your EBITDA margin, your revenue, and your actual EBITDA. Those are key to sell. So those are like the, with those three questions and knowing your industry, we can come up with pretty close accurate of your estimated value. Because, you know, it's, it's comps. And then there's market comps. Yeah. And so then the rest is a little easier. So it goes back to, in all sense, like when you say comps and co- comparables, meaning my business yeah. in this particular size, in this particular region, mm-hmm. uh, this particular industry was somebody else sold their business, similar to mine for X. So then we can mm-hmm. compare much like you would a house. Yeah. I, t- I totally get that. So, yeah. So when it comes to sort of that preparation for the sale itself, you had mentioned before we started, you know, recording this conversation that your company and others sometimes will, will work with the management team to get them sort of ready for prom, you know, get them ready to be out and, you know, ready for, for being sold or to being, uh, you know, considered to be sold. If I know I want to sell my business, but uh, I'm not quite sure, you know, how to get from point A to point B that there's probably some things that need to be done. I got to get things ready in order to be ready to sell. How do you or others like you help a person like me uh, get my house in order so that it's ready to be put on the, you know, the sales block? Yeah, great question. So uh, we like to help people up to like maybe six months before helping them understand their EBITDA, helping them understand how much money their company makes. A lot of these companies are smaller, so they don't have CFOs. And so they have uh, maybe a controller or a financial analyst. So that's why we have a back of house financial analyst team. My business partner is a corporate finance professor. So he understands underwriting very well. And um, so, yeah, we help you with all the financial process and creating the adjusted EBITDA, which is what they're going to look at. And... So that's one step of the process. The other step of the process, we may want to help you interview your management team if you are unclear who you want to promote to CEO or to replace you. So we know kind of by now as a consultant what people like, what the buyers like to see. So we you're between two people, we'll help you do that so you can have it all ready. And by the time we start selling the company, you are more on a 
you know, on the back burner, not really fronting the company. So you are, you become less important in a way in the company. So they can see more value if you're removed. And the third, third big thing that, that we really help people with is understand the process and connect them with the right people. So we have a good network of consultants, lawyers, tax attorneys, CPAs, because it's going to be a big liquidity event, right? It's usually if you're a business owner and you sell your business as your biggest payday in your life. So you need to have the best team around you. So, you know, M&A attorneys, uh, tax consultants, what are you going to do with your money? Wealth managers. So try to, you know, make sure everything's good so it's not a surprise because you think you're selling your business for $20 million and and you make $2 million a year. But at the end of the day, you're going to pay $6 million in taxes. You're going to end up with fourteen. And what kind of investment can you put $14 million that's going to make you the $2 million you had your standard of living before? So let me ask you from a mindset perspective, and this is an unfair question. Yeah. And I realize this. So it's, it's just take it for what it's worth, right? By and large, do most business owners that you deal with or that you sense that are out there, do they have a overinflated perspective about what their business is worth or an underinflated? I would say 70% is overinflated. Okay. And then uh, 30% underinflated. Now, maybe like 25, only like 5, 10% of people are educated enough to like really hit it on the spot. Um, they're like, okay, yeah, I think that's what my business is worth. A lot of people think it's worth a, a good chunk of people think it's worth a lot less, but the majority is like, oh no, it's worth, worth way, way more. And, but that's usually on the younger it's actually a demographics type of thing. Is it really? So let's say more about yeah. that. So you're finding that, yeah. oh, talk more about that. That's interesting. I, I think it's in the demographic. It's the younger, you know, your 40 to 50 year old business owner, which is still pretty active. And they're like, well, I'm not ready to retire. So why would I sell my business five times EBITDA, which is just five, five years. I get, I can work for five more years. Right. And so that's a little difficult unless they want the money to move somewhere else. But I think as people get older, they get more satisfied and maybe they're like, yeah, you know, that pay they sounds pretty good because they don't want to work five, 10 more years. Right. So getting five, six years of the cash up front is pretty happy. So it, it depends on that. Yeah. We were dealing with a 27 year old, extremely successful business owner that was thinking about selling his business for like, $25 million at 27. So this guy is like, oh, I think it's worth 50. And we were like, how do you come up with that? Oh, I don't know. I just, I'm just feel that way. I, yeah, it just feels that way. So yeah. we educated him and we came up with the comps and he's like, well, why don't we go to market at 30 or something like that? So we're like, we'll compromise and we'll, we'll go to market a little higher because there's a story. And he also wants to stay on board. A lot of times when they're younger CEOs, they're like, I want to stay on board and run my business, just get a big payday and ride a little of the growth with the right equity partner. So those cases are growth equity strategies, not a full sale. So maybe we just sell controlling interest of the business. Do you find that sometimes in the process that you have an owner who decides not to sell, but in fact, go a different direction and get investors? Yeah, all the time. It happens all the time. They're like, you know what? I actually want to stay. And they just, they just get growth equity. Happens all the yeah, time. That's cool. So 
I, and this is a, I don't know what I don't know. So I'll ask this question. You know, I remember in uh, doing some real estate though, there was always this opportunity that if you were to um, sell your rental property, you had a certain amount of time to be able to take the profit and move it into another rental property. 1031 mm -hmm. exchange, I think they called it. Do we have the same thing in selling businesses? Well, unfortunately not. Unfortunately, businesses are heavily taxed, right? I'm not a, I'm not a tax expert, but, uh, but yeah, your businesses, it's capital gains, ordinary income. Yeah. And there is strategies. There is strategies are there that, that tax people can speak more into, but they're like deferred sale trust, which is like putting your business in a special trust and that, that, that gets deferred and then you can buy another business with it or real estate. And there's like, if your business is owned um, by certain insurance policies, like a private placement life insurance, there's creative ways out there. Now I'm happy to, happy to introduce you to like one of our uh, wealth management guys that, that helps you come up with that and has a good tax team. And maybe you even want to have him on the podcast, but yeah, they do yeah. a lot more of that. I usually refer people to. So you can't put a, you can't put a business into a trust. Yes, there is. Yeah. Yeah. As I know, or, I'll, or create a trust in the business is in a holding company that connects to the trust. I mean, I don't know how yeah. this all works. Yeah. From a, yeah. Same, same. I'm not a hundred percent sure how it works, but I've yeah. heard and I've seen people put it in their trust. Yeah. And that the benefit of that is what tax de deferment or. Yeah. Tax deferment. Also some, is there also some litigation protection as well because you're one step removed? Yes. Also, I believe there's some litigation. Uh, yeah, of course, there's litigation when you sell your business, right? They're going to try to claw back former employee creditors. And right. It's still a possibility, right? Um, but yeah, that's why. Yeah, there's many ways to protect. And that's why we said one of the big things that we want to introduce people to in the process is the great team. Introduce you to an M&A attorney, introduce you to a wealth manager, to a tax attorney. So you are well prepared to get the biggest payday of your life. Mm. Got it. Well, I want to go back real quick about this idea of getting you ready for the sale and the help that companies like you, yours would do to get us there. You mentioned, you know, the management team, you mentioned a variety of things, but would there be discussions around, you know what, you've got an opportunity to scale more or to improve your sales process or to add some automation? that would make you a lot more effective and productive that would go right to the bottom line. Are those sort of the things that you would also provide some consulting on? Uh, yeah, yeah, we, we do that too. Um, we are not experts in every industry, right? So maybe if we are yeah. not experts in that particular industry on actually how to grow your revenue, uh, you know, we will suggest and introduce you to different consultants. But there is certain industries that we have become very knowledgeable in and we just give you pointers, right? Just went by. Right. One of the biggest disruptions we've had over the last, well, even nine months has been chat GPT and generative AI. And, you know, where there's a lot of conversations are going on about it. Higher education is now leading into it, trying to figure out how best to, to teach students and learners in this new world. Do you see that that particular disruption is going to change the business selling process or the business uh, businesses being ready or do they feel like it's 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 a good thing or does it even show up at all on their radar? Yeah, no, for sure. If anything, I think it's helping. 
people. It's helping the, the end seller, uh, making their process. It's a, it's, it's a fountain of information, right? Uh, you, you can spend money in, in, on attorneys, some of the more simpler documents, legal documents that ChatGPT is putting, like simple employment contracts and little stuff like that. The templates that they're doing are amazing. And I've seen like great stuff, or I personally use it to draft some of my marketing emails, right? When I am following up with all my clients, I say, make sound this sound more impressive and more better grammar. You know, I might not be the perfect writer and it, um, and it's helping. And then the business owner as well, it's, it's just different information, right? They can type in some other complicated questions and it may answer them well. So yeah, no, I think if anything, it's making the process easier and faster. It's still a very relationship trusting. So I don't think we're there yet for years for people to trust the machine to do the transactions because it's, right. it's, it's, it's your biggest livelihood in your life. Uh, but you're, you can trust it with a lot of the back of house questions and administrative work for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I guess my last question I want to ask you, Paul, is, is this a good time? for a business owner to sell? Or would you say like, people talk about this in real estate all the time. Oh, interest rates are so high. It looks like more basis points are gonna come our way from the Fed. Maybe we should hold off. That's the, you know, uh, barbecue mm -hmm. conversation with the beer in your hand, right? What do you think, Bill, Sally, you gonna sell your house or not? Well, we're gonna wait a little bit because the market doesn't look very good. What would you say relative to selling your business? Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely financing has gotten more expensive. That's for sure. And, and that happens a lot in the smaller businesses that there's financing, but in the larger businesses, when you pass that 15, $20 million range in mark in market value, uh, private equity firms buy them cash. Um, there's a lot of cash buyers out there, a lot of, and also, you know, people want to make good money, right? They want to make cash flow. So they are buying these businesses that are cash flowing actively. So there's always buyers for them. A, so I think it really comes down to a very personal decision. Do you see yourself being done with this business, retiring, getting paid in the next year too? So if that's the case, it's always a decent time to sell unless your industry is really doing bad. That's the only time I tell them. If your industry is doing bad in that particular time, let's say you are a, I don't know, like we had some businesses, um, you're a roofer that does brand new homes. Well, maybe there's not as many brand new homes being built right now. So your yeah. business is building roofs. So, Understood. you know, it's not the right time to sell that because it's, it's really affected by the economy. So, yeah, it's very case by case. But let's say you own 10 McDonald's. So it's always a good time to sell your 10 McDonald's. Yeah. For I, I, and I know it's, a, it's an unfair question. Yeah. Yeah, we, have a, yeah. we, have, we had a good friend of ours uh, who owns a, um, a shop. And uh, was able to purchase it with seller financing. Good idea, not a good idea. Seller financing, good idea. If you can get a good term from him. Yeah, it's, al it's always good. Yeah, I, I am nothing against seller financing. I think if it's one of the um, easiest ways to get your hands on an asset. If, if the seller is being reasonable, uh, it's pretty good. It's a pretty good idea. A lot of big businesses that I know have been built through seller financing. And is it good for the seller? Is it good for the seller? It's good for the seller. Uh, if he not not the best. Let's just say for the seller is not the best. For the buyer is the best. The seller yeah. usually does seller financing. Maybe if he cannot find another buyer, 
Right. I get it. Yeah. And the yeah. interest rates are right, whatever the terms are right. Yeah. Well, Paul, this has been really, uh, I'm getting a, another little graduate degree here, a little mini course that's uh, always mm -hmm. useful. And I'm sure that some of our listeners will as well. How can people follow you, connect with you, know more about what you're about? Yeah, you can find us, uh, pacificadvisors.com. It's our website. There's a lot of resources. Please click on different industries. And we have articles about each industry, kind of shows what the ranges are. So there's a lot of information there. Uh, LinkedIn, you know, all social media. Just Google us, Paul, and Paul Spratling or Pacific Advisors, and you can find us. Sounds good. Well, thank you for your time. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Business of Intuition. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about Dean or Mission Facilitators Leadership, go to mfileadership.com. That's mfileadership.com.